We're so glad that you're here. If you're online, we're glad that you are there as well and that we could all be together, at least in that way. Super Bowl Sunday, you got your bets placed or whatever you do. Uh, you got your meat on the smoker. I don't know if you're going to enjoy the game. Who's going to watch the game? Who's going to see the game? Okay, who's cheering for the Bengals? Let me see. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not even going to ask about the other team. So I hope, I hope you have a great day. So we are wrapping up this series, Playing Hurt. It's just been a few weeks, but we touched on the life of Elijah last week, sort of got into it, and we're going to wrap it up. It's going to help us understand where he is and why he's playing hurt and what he experienced through all of it. Elijah is certainly the MVP of prophets. He is the one that stood head and shoulders above all the prophets, and he finds himself after one of his greatest victories, probably his greatest victory, uh, the height of victory, the, the excitement of it, the adrenaline, now he is tanked and he is playing hurt, and he's not doing well. He's tired. He crashes hard. He's weary. He's had it. He doesn't have anything left to give, and he's in a pretty rough place, Elijah is. This was one artist's depiction of Elijah in the pit of despair. He's under the broom tree, as we talked about last week. You can hop online and listen. God, through an angel, gave him a little bread on a hot stone, and he is in need of some repair, Elijah is. And it could be that you're in a similar place, you know somebody who's in a similar place, or uh, that one day you will be in a place like that. Elijah is hurt, he's weary, he's had enough, and above all things, he feels alone. He feels like nobody is with him. Nobody feels like he feels, and he is trying to do this thing all by himself. We are not prophets, at least none that I know of. Uh, Maybe you are, and you haven't told me yet, but we should chat if you are. Um, There's some things I'd like to ask you. Um, But we are more similar to Elijah than we might at first think. We're more similar than we are different. We're working hard. We, We are trying to get things done. God has called you to love certain people and do certain things and take on certain tasks. And sometimes those tasks feel like they're small and you're large and you're up to the task and you can take care of business. And sometimes it feels like everything is flipped, like you don't have enough, like you are near the end, like you would like to give up, like you and Elijah feel alone and there's no more left to give. And when we ended our story last week. Elijah was just like this, and he's on the run. He's left his servant behind. He's feared for his life, and he has no idea where he's to turn. This is where we left it. 1 Kings 19, the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more. And this, of course, is where we took communion last week. We got up and we ate some more, receiving nourishment from God. He needed to do this because the journey ahead will be too much. And this is true for us. We have a journey ahead of us. And so first things first, that's what Elijah had to do. He had to rest and he had to eat. And we said that last week, that if you are feeling depleted, if you're feeling worn out, if you have nothing left to give, one of the first things you need to do before you attend to any other issues in your life, you need to be sure you've got enough rest and you've had some food and you've taken care of the basic needs. You might remember basics of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, from your psychology 101. This is what needs to happen in Elijah's life. And he did that. And then God, through the angel, gives some instructions and they give him this to know what to do next. So he got up and ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to where? Where is he headed? You've heard of Mount Sinai before, right? 
Some important things happened on Mount Sinai. Moses met with God, Ten Commandments, other things as well. This is an important place for the Jewish people, the mountain of God. And he did this, traveled 40 days and 40 nights, and there he came to a cave where he spent the night. That's a long trip. We don't know where he was. We don't know where he started. We have some ideas of where Mount Sinai probably was, but we don't know for sure. And so whatever it was and however many miles or whatever he went each day, it was a long trip, probably longer than any trip you've taken, longer than any trip I've taken. But he took this trip, 40 days, 40 nights, an important number in Scripture 40. It's a number of completion. And some things happened in 40 days and 40 nights, right? Maybe you remember some of those things that God uses this number to signify that there is a process going on and he's in it and he's going to take care of business in this amount of time. And so he does. I think there's two things before we move on in the story that we want to grab from this, from this verse. And the first is this. Uh, Elijah gets those basic needs met. He eats and he rests. And then next is going to be he needs to move. Have you ever taken so many naps or rested so much that all you want to do is rest more? It feels like sometimes that when our life slows down, a lot, and maybe you haven't experienced this in a long time, but maybe you did through COVID when things slowed down. You had to work from home, and you know, you, so you logged in your computer and then got back in the bed and then came back and moved your mouse a bit and then got back in the bed. And Elijah, now that he's rested and then he's eaten, it's time for him to move his body. In fact, he's got to move it so much, he's going to be moving it for 40 days and 40 nights. If you're dealing with feeling low, if you're dealing with feeling like you're alone, one of the things you need to do is to physically engage your body in movement. I wouldn't do this in my life if it weren't for all the chasing I do of Donna in our life. Donna, earlier in our marriage, after kids, postpartum depression, all those kinds of things, Donna worked very hard at pulling herself out of a pit that she didn't want to be in. And one of the things that she did is develop sort of a checklist of things to be sure that we're engaging. Uh, things like fresh air, sunshine, vitamin D, physical movement, exercise. These are the kinds of things. In fact, she's always looking for new ways to exercise. We started swimming a couple weeks ago. And I say we, she swam and I kind of flailed in the pool. Uh, she said, I think, I'm a, I think I'd like to swim some. You know, it's low impact. It's good for our age. And so we went over to the rec center and we got in the pool. And, and I thought, why? Well, I, mean, I, I haven't gone swimming in forever. When I go swimming, it's playing in the pool. That's what swimming is to me. But I thought, well, I'll do what I'm supposed to do, right? Kick my feet and move my arms and hold my breath. And, and it looked like I was fighting somebody in the pool. Uh, and... and I can't believe they didn't come and rescue me. And so we're moving, you know, I'm breathing heavy, physically engaged. This is what is important for Elijah. Maybe what is critically important for you is to get out under this blue sky and receive some of the nourishment that comes from the endorphins, exercise, physical movement, vitamin D. It's what Elijah does. It's what the angel has him do next. But there's a second thing that I don't want you to miss here before we move on is this. He's traveling 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai. It's the mountain of God. Elijah didn't have to go to the mountain of God to be in God's presence, did he? No, of course not. God is everywhere. God is with Elijah. And God was with Elijah before he made this journey. But this is a spiritually significant place. 
And when you open up the scriptures and you pay attention to how God moves, for whatever reason, it seems as if geography is really important to God. And geography is one of the ways that we experience the presence of God. Now, for the Jewish men and women, Mount Sinai was that place, and it wasn't the only place. There were lots of places that were geographically important to the Jewish people. Even the very moment when Moses was called and he sees the burning bush and you know, he realizes that the ground that he's standing on is holy ground. That was a geography moment for Moses. Geography is important to you. And so you may not need to go to Mount Sinai to experience God's presence, but I bet there are places, geographically speaking, where you experience the presence of God more than other places. And I wonder if you know where those are. I wonder if you can name them. For some of you, it's in the mountains of Colorado with the wind whipping through the trees and nobody else around you. For some of you, it might be the deserts of Moab where you see the, the desolate nature of what has happened in that, that part of our world in Utah. For some of you, it could be in corporate worship where you're around people that you know, stories that you've experienced, and you hear these lyrics and the, the, the power of music is what draws you in. For some of you, it is hearing the waves lap upon each other while you're, uh, I don't know, you got sand between your toes and probably a drink with a little umbrella in it. But most of you experience God more significantly in some places more than others. And I wonder if you've given much thought to that. And I wonder if you can name it. And it's important that you do. And the reason it matters is because when the time came where Elijah needed to experience the presence of God, he knew exactly where to go, and the angel did too, and this is where he goes. What are you going to do? Where are you going to go? What time of day is it? What, what are the environs that you find yourself in where you experience God's unique presence for you and your life? And do you make a habit of going there and returning there? Do you on purpose decide, now I know what I need more than anything else, and it's just me and the Lord, creator, lover of my soul, whatever you, Father God, the one true God, whatever you call God, and, and you go there on purpose. And so that's what Elijah does. And so he goes to Mount Sinai. When he gets there, he came to a cave and he spent the night. Spent the night in the cave. When he wakes up the next morning, God has a question for Elijah, and it's this. But the Lord said to him, let's say it together, what are you doing here, Elijah? It's a great question. It's a great question. I mean, if I'm Elijah, I'm thinking, well, the angel sent me here. It wasn't my idea to take a 40-day hike. You know, I guess I'm here for you. I, but this is not what Elijah says. Elijah's going to give an answer. But before we get to his answer, this is a question that you ought to wrestle with. What are you doing here? I, don't, I mean, here in church. What are you doing here? What are you here for? What's God doing with you, through you, in you? When people interact with you, what do they see of God that they didn't see before? 
You don't have to be a pastor or somebody who you know, knows all the scriptures. You, you don't, God, God wants to use you as you are, who you are, the way you love and interact with people. For, for some of you, your gift's encouragement. For some of you, it is seeing things that people don't see. God has uniquely made you, fearfully and wonderfully, to impact the world around you and the people that you are in a relational context with. And the question that you ought to answer through scripture and Time with God is, what are, you, what are you doing here? Why are you here? It doesn't matter if you're retired or don't have a work-a-day job or find yourself all alone most of the day or around people most of the day. None of that matters. The question that you ought to wrestle with is, what are you doing here? You remember what we said at the beginning of this series just a few weeks ago? We were talking about playing hurt. and the, I mean, we, we, it's very clear from all the stuff you read, there will be a couple of dozen football players that will suit up today and every one of them's hurt. Every one of them is hurt. Some of them, it's obvious, it made the injury report, but most of them they're trying to keep under wraps so that somebody doesn't hit them in that hip or in that leg or in that arm, but they're all playing hurt. And you're playing hurt too. I know you are. You're wounded, you're tired, you're weary, and it may not be today, but it might be Wednesday. If you're playing hurt, life is just too hard. I mean, why wouldn't you just hang up your helmet or whatever your equipment is and decide, that's just, I'm just, I'm out. I'm out. Somebody needs to answer that. And, and the only way you wouldn't do that is because you remember why you do what you do. It's why God says to Elijah, what are you doing here? What are you doing here, Elijah? Playing with pain defies logic. It makes no sense. And unless you know what God is doing through you for the lives of other people to grow his kingdom in some very unique way, unless you know that something good is happening from the way you live and the way you love other people, well, eventually you're just going to bag it and say, I'm going to phone it in. It's important stuff to be done. God's counting on you in more ways than one. And so in response to the question, what are you doing here, Elijah? He gives this answer. This is what he says. A lot of words. Hang with me. Elijah says this. I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you. They have torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets. And I'm the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me too. That's a lot of words for a simple question, isn't it? And he gives an answer. In fact, when you read his answer, it feels like he went, you know, I don't know, three ways around the barn. He didn't have to go there, but he's giving this answer. But he gives us some insight into what happens to us when we feel tired and depleted, when we feel a little bit weary, a little bit worn out. Maybe we need a nap. Maybe we're hungry. Maybe we're hangry, whatever it is. And Elijah, in his answer to God in this moment, gives us a glimpse into our own hearts. So let me, like a good coach, mark it up and break it down for you, okay? This will help. Elijah says, look, here's the deal. I have, and, and I am the only one. Look, when you're worn out, one of the first things that's going to happen to you is you're going to turn inward. You're going to become about you. It's natural. I mean, this is not a judgment. It's what we do when we feel like we have nothing left to give. We gather what we have and we kind of hold on to it and we close in on ourselves and we turn inward, which is a natural response when we feel like we have nothing left to give. If we're not careful, 
it turns into a selfish response. And it turns into, ultimately, a self-focused self-righteousness. And most things, when you put self in front of it, it's going to lead to bad places, unhealthy places, places where you have nothing to give. And that's what he says. That's the first thing we see. So not only is he self-oriented here and self-righteous, he starts to confess the sins of other people. Maybe you've done that before too. He says, but the people of Israel, they have broken their covenant with you and they have killed every one of your prophets. And what's interesting about this is that's, that's not true. It's a little true. And when we feel this way, depleted, not only do we become self-focused, not only do we start confessing the sins of other people, we start losing perspective completely. And when we lose perspective like this, little problems that shouldn't matter become really big problems. And the thing that we should be focused in on that God really wants our attention toward, it completely leaves our purview off the radar and we begin worrying about things that are pointless, fool's errands, consuming our heart and our anxieties with things that are beyond our control. And that's exactly what Elijah does. Self-focused, he'll confess your sins long before he thinks of his own. And then he begins to completely lose perspective. He, and this is what he says. I'm the only one left and now they are trying to kill me too. So you might remember from the story, who's trying to kill Elijah? Now Jezebel's a they. So it's not one, it's a whole group of people after Elijah to kill him. And odds are Jezebel really didn't have any intention to kill Elijah. So, I mean, here's how we know this. When Jezebel wanted to get a message to Elijah, hey, I'm coming after you, I'm going to kill you, do you, how do you think she did it? Did she send him a text message or email? Did she call him? What'd she do? She sent a courier, right? It's the only way she could do it then. So she sent a person to tell Elijah. In fact, this is the only way Elijah figures out that Jezebel's after him is because a messenger from Jezebel comes to tell him that Jezebel wants to kill you. Person to person, that's what she says. Or he says, whoever the courier is. If Jezebel could send a courier, don't you think she could have just killed him? She didn't want to kill him. What did she want to do? Yeah, it took me three weeks to figure that out. For you and first service figured it out in about 30 seconds. All she wanted to do was scare him. Did it work? Yeah, it totally worked. He just turned tail and run. This is what happens with Elijah. He is completely losing perspective. He's afraid of things that he shouldn't be afraid of. Of course, Jezebel was to be feared, but she didn't want to kill him. All she wanted was the prophet of God out of the way so that she could go back to business per usual. And he's completely lost his perspective. And we do the same thing when we're tired. We turn inward. When we're weary, our flaws become insignificant and others' flaws become really big deals. And we even like to talk about them with people who aren't those people. And we forget that our battle is not against another person. We forget what it means to love. And then we lose perspective on what really is the issue. And so God hears and sees Elijah and all of this. And then he gives 
Elijah some instructions. He says this, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out and stand before me on the mountain. So he's in the cave and he comes out near the mouth of the cave. This is what the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, what does it say? Say it with me. The Lord passed by. Now, Elijah is nourished. He's got his belly full. He's rested. He's alert. He's doing good. He's, he's moved his body. His, his endorphins are working, and he's doing his thing, what he needs now. And maybe what you need now, more than anything else, is the presence of God, just the mere presence of God. And he needs the presence of God so that he can hear the truth of God. You can't have one without the other. You can't hear the truth of God without God being present. You, you lose perspective. You think big things are little and vice versa. You completely misunderstand the nature of a relationship or a circumstance or even what your role is in all of it. He needs the presence of God so that he can hear the truth of God. Here's how it unfolded. As Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain, and it was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. Let's say this together. But the Lord was not in the wind. Elijah's still there, waiting on God's presence. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. Let's say it together. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire. Once again, but the Lord was not in the fire. And he's waiting, not in the wind, not in the earthquake, not in the fire. I don't know what you've been through over the last many weeks or many months, but know this for certain. God has always been with you, but there's a good chance that he wasn't in the fire. You felt the heat, God wasn't in it, that he wasn't in the wind. Things swirled around you and you didn't know where to put them and you just wanted to sit still until things calmed down. God was not in the wind. And he was not in the earthquake. I mean, some of you have gone through experiences in your life where it felt like the earth was moving, literally moving beneath your feet. And while God can be present in many things, in fact, Elijah saw him present in fire not long before this, there are many experiences of our life when we just need to be still and let the wind calm down, let the heat die away, and the earth to stop moving. And Elijah, at the mouth of a cave, experiences all three, and God wasn't in any of them. He just needed to wait and be still and let it rage around him. And that's what he did. He just waited. Some of you are waiting right now and it's the best, most hopeful, most thoughtful thing you can do. Because when the wind dies down and when the heat dies away and the earth rights itself again, what might happen to you is what happened to Elijah. And after the fire, there was the sound of what? Say it with me. A gentle whisper. It's one of the most profound sections of Scripture. Some translations say it different than a gentle whisper. Some say a, a still small voice or a soft wind or a gentle voice. 
translations treat this in a variety of different ways because it's a, a Hebrew phrase that we don't really know what to do with. We don't know what to call it. We don't know how to describe it. We feel like there was a sound of something, but the Hebrew indicates that there wasn't a sound, and so we aren't sure what to do with the structure of the sentence. So the New American Standard decided they would translate it this way. It sounds oxymoronic, but it's probably the best translation of all. It is the sound of sheer silence. This is where the presence of God was. When the noise died down, when the wind stopped, when the heat dissipated, and it was quiet, it was in the quietness where God could be found. The sound of sheer silence. This is the presence of God. And it was only then that Elijah could begin to hear God speak in the sound of silence. The problem is we don't like silence very much, do we? We like noise. And we don't like to sit still. How many of you have actually said the words, well, I, I'm not very good at sitting still? How many of you said that out loud? Yeah, and so we don't like sitting still. We think sitting still is like a, oh, an, an indictment on our character because good people work hard and People who work hard are very busy, and to sit still must mean that something that should be done isn't getting done. And so you begin to feel good old Protestant work ethic guilt, and you think, if, if I were you know, earning my keep or pulling my share of the load, I would find something to do. And so if you feel like you need to find something to do, guess what you're going to find? Something to do. And you're going to find it with headphones in your ear or noise on the radio or the TV or in your car. In fact, it is so rare that we find ourselves in silence. I mean, I guess the question that we ought to ask is, when is the last time you sat still quietly by yourself without any artificial noise around you? And how long do you think you could do that before you drove somebody crazy, including yourself? This is how Elijah experienced the presence of God. And it's not a coincidence or a mistake that he experienced that. This gentleman uh, right here, his name is Bernie Krause. And he, for a living, this is his TED Talk. You can hop online and watch it. Um, Bernie, he records nature sounds for a living. He does it for uh, museums, you know, their uh, exhibits and various things, you know, when they need a sound of, of something, you know, wind rustling through the trees or even the sounds of the forest floor, rainforest. Many people do this for a living, but he's one of the most well-known. He's been doing it for about five decades now. And in his TED Talk, he explains that when he started doing this about 45, 50 years ago, when he started doing it, he could record for about, oh, it was uh, 10 hours. And if he recorded for 10 hours out in nature with his mic set up in a various location, he would walk away with one hour of usable footage that he could use for the project at hand. Today, when he does it, he has to record for 1,000 hours to get the same useful footage we're used to noise. 
Do you remember what we said during the pandemic? We, we referenced it during one of the messages that um, immediately after the lockdown, seismologists began to notice that the earth's plates stopped vibrating or vibrated a lot less. In some major metropolitan areas, the, the vibration of the earth's tectonic plates dropped as much as 80%. And so this is important, not only because it's hard to imagine that us driving down the road actually makes the earth vibrate, but it does. It's not just us, of course, it's millions of us, billions of us. But it was incredible for seismologists and people who study geoscience because they begin to hear things happening in the earth's structure that they had never heard before because the thresholds were so low. And we're told that it is, in fact, God's presence that is there in the sound of sheer silence. And so God takes Elijah to the place where he is most likely to experience his presence. And he gives them all manner of noise to surround him, to remind him that God isn't in the noise. And when he's depleted and when he's empty, what he needed most was God's presence and to experience God's presence, God meets him in the sound of sheer silence. It's the presence of God. And God's going to take care of business for Elijah. And once he experiences presence, he's going to tell him, hey, Elijah, here's what we need to do. You're supposed to be king of Aram. Here's the king of Israel. By the way, your time's about to wrap up. You need to anoint Elisha, different prophet. He's going to take your place. And so God's going to give him his to-do list. He's going to give him his marching orders. And Elijah will know exactly what to do when he leaves Mount Sinai. But it is only because of the presence of God and the silence that envelops him that he's able to hear the truth of God about what he's supposed to do next. You've been there when you're not sure what to do next, right? Am I supposed to retire? Am I supposed to go to this job? Am I supposed to move here? Am I supposed to invest here, take care of business there? Lord, we would just love to hear your voice. How many of you have wished and pleaded to simply hear God's voice on an issue or relationship or circumstance? And God says, if you want to listen then you're going to need to find the silence. Because only in my presence will you begin to hear the truth. And then Elijah gets reminded by God, you're not alone. There's seven, it says it right there in, in 1 Kings, there are 7,000 others who have not bowed their knee to some other idol, Elijah. You're not alone. There's a bunch of you out there. So just keep your shorts on. We'll get through this. Take care of business. Put perspective back where it belongs. Look, if you're weary, if you're depleted, it's pretty clear that we're all playing hurt. If you're going to make it, if you're going to play all four quarters of the game, if you're going to make it past halftime without getting sent back to the locker room, if you are going to allow God's kingdom to grow and expand based on the way you love and the way you live and how you use your resources, it's pretty clear that you've got to do one thing, and this is it. It's really simple. You're going to need to arrange your life, how you live, what you do, what you experience, what you prioritize, what you value. You're going to need to arrange your life so that you can experience the presence of God, and there you can receive the truth of God. 